Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching a special topical study on the Holy Spirit, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 14. If you haven't been with us, we have been doing a series on the Holy Spirit. We recently completed our study in the book of Revelation, and if you are interested in, many, many people have asked, are the CDs available for the study in the book of Revelation? It is available, and it's four CDs, I want to say 10 CDs per packet, and you can pick that up in the bookstore, our Um, or in the tape library, pardon me, probably in the bookstore also, give us about a week. And, um, but we just finished our study on on the uh, book of Revelation, and and I'm telling you, I I was so blessed and just so excited to start that book, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, and end uh, in the last uh, chapter, last verse. It was just a wonderful thing, I think, for our church. The CDs are available, but right after that, we started our study, not last week, but the week prior, on the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be doing a series of studies on the Holy Spirit. We're going to be doing a study on the gifts of the Spirit. We'll begin that next time we gather together. We'll talk about the gifts of the Spirit and about speaking in tongues and, and all of the gifts of the Spirit. None, no gift is better than the other. We all have different gifts, and we're to use those gifts to edify and build up the body of Christ, Ephesians 4.11. So very important. So You might want to stay tuned and join us for our study in the Holy Spirit. I should hope that it would clear up some questions that you might have about this hot topic and this controversial subject of the Holy Spirit. And so, but that's where we've been. And over the last several weeks, we've been talking about that. We last week, last time, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is a person, y'all, not a it. Doesn't it just drive you crazy when people... Talk about the Holy Spirit as it, like a force, an energy, or electricity. I was telling them the first two services, I got a CD, and that's uh, one of my favorite. I love this CD. And I heard her singing the song, and she started referring to the Holy Spirit as a it. And I'm like, oh, man. Now I got to throw the CD away. <laughs> 16 bucks out the window. But, but the Holy Spirit's not an it. He's a person. Just like if you're a person and I'm a person and, and, and the Holy Spirit is a person. And what makes him a person? What makes us people? Well, we have personality traits. And so it is true of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit has intelligence. We looked at this the last time. The Holy Spirit has a will. He has emotion. He is able to be lied to. And he is able to be loved. We pointed all that out last time. 
Now, as I talked about, the subject of the Holy Spirit is one of the most controversial subjects known to the church. And it's interesting because this is in recent years. This whole controversy concerning the deity of Jesus, the virgin birth, the, the, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, the resurrected bodily resurrection of Jesus, these very core doctrines prior to the Reformation movement, the 1800s, these things were accepted as basic fundamental truths, teachings of the church. So the controversy is relatively new. Shortly after the Reformation, we began to see the birth of groups that rejected nearly all the fundamental essential teachings of the Christian church, namely the Jehovah's Witnesses. In Reasoning from the Scriptures, a Jehovah's Witness publication, page 424, it states, The dogma of the Trinity is not found in the Bible, nor is it in harmony with what the Bible teaches. Man, the dogma of the Trinity, they, they say, is not found in the Bible, nor is it in harmony with what the Bible teaches. Well, listen, let's stop right here. Let's lay a good foundation here. Let's understand something right out of the gate. Understand that the doctrine of the Trinity is one of those biblical subjects that you will never completely understand. I think that's the place to begin. The doctrine of the Trinity, I'll say it again in case you were asleep. The doctrine of the Trinity is one of those biblical doctrines of the Bible of which we in our finite, puny little minds will never fully understand. And I think it is foolishness to think that we will. Because God is God. God is bigger than us. And there are some things uh, that, that God reserves the right to completely understand and not to inform you about. And that's okay. You see, because God is God. Now, here are some quotes. Let me read you some quotes. G. Campbell Morgan said this. The idea of one essence subsisting after a threefold manner and in a trinity of relationships finds nothing of phenomena of nature of which it can fashion as a sufficient symbol. In other words, G. Campbell Morgan says, there is nothing that we have tangible that we will be able to use to explain the Trinity. Nothing tangible. Now, we all have done it. I have done it. You might take a glass of water, a glass of water, and you say, we've tried to explain. Well, you got water, and water can be in three forms. You can have a liquid, ice, and vapor, yet it is water. We've all tried to use examples like that. The egg. I've done that again. I've tried to explain the Trinity to people and say, well, now take an egg. With an egg, you have the, the, the yolk, you've got the white and you've got a shell, yet it is one egg. And we've done it most certainly with an apple. You've got the core, you've got the pulp, and you've got the skin of the apple. And so we try to take these tangible things and say, this is how to explain the Trinity. This is how you can understand it. Well, well listen, that's okay. That, that's okay. 
But in reality, they don't really give a clear picture of the Trinity. That's what Morgan, G. Campbell Morgan is saying. Chuck Smith, he said this. So great is the mystery that our minds can't fully wrap itself around its reality. We simply can't understand the mystery of the Godhead. But this should be no surprise. We must remember we are dealing with an infinite God. And when we try to understand an infinite God with our finite minds, we are bound to run into insurmountable difficulties. How can we talk about one God and three persons of the one God? Yet, this is what the scriptures present to us. And then Charles Stanley, he said this, The idea of the Trinity has been a point of confusion for many people. And yet, Scripture clearly teaches that there is but one God, yet God is presented in the form of three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The formula adopted by the early church is as follows. One essence and three persons. And then we have a very contemporary preacher by the name of Kenneth Boa. And he said, there is a great deal recorded in the scriptures that I do not understand. But why should I expect to understand or why should I expect it to be otherwise? If I understood it all, that would mean that I am as smart and as wise as the one who authored it. Since the Bible is infinite, is an infinite revelation from God, it often brings me beyond the limits of my intelligence. So true. Now, there are those who say, Rodney, the Trinity can be disproven mathematically, they say. They say one plus one plus one equals three. And I say that doesn't prove anything. You can't prove it or disprove it mathematically. Why? Because one times one times one equals one. So you can't prove it nor disprove it mathematically. The Trinity is something that you have to understand from a scriptural basis and then you've got to take it by faith. Amen? You've got to understand it from a scriptural basis, and then you must take it by faith. Well, then there are those who say, Rodney, now, wait a minute. The Trinity, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, that's true. But the word Bible is not in the Bible. <laughs> Hello, McFly? The word Bible's not in the Bible. The word rapture's not in the Bible. But I'm hoping to get rapture when Jesus comes. Amen? I don't know about you. So what does that prove? It proves nothing. Now, the word Trinity is just the technical name given to the teaching that says there is one God, but this one God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they are distinct persons. They are distinct. The Father is not Jesus, and Jesus is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. They are distinct and yet only one God. Now, here at Calvary Chapel, we believe in the Trinity. If you haven't guessed it already. We believe in the Trinity. We consider ourselves Trinitarians. Now, John chapter 14, with that being said, John chapter 14 in your Bibles, let me set this up for you from John chapter 13. It's in the upper room. 
It's the night before the crucifixion. Jesus, you know the story. He just washed the disciples' feet, and he said to the disciples, you see what I'm doing, disciples, fellas? They said, yeah. He said, do the same. Serve one another, Jesus said. And then Jesus went on to give them a new commandment, that they were to love one another as he has loved them. And then Jesus began to talk about some real troubling stuff as Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times. Well, that takes us to chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. He tells them that he's going to his father's house to prepare a place for them, but that he will come again and receive them to himself. Well, by this time, listen, the disciples, their minds are spinning. They don't get it. Their minds are spinning. Now, we pick up fast forward to to, to verse 16, John chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. If you're there, say a hearty amen. Amen. Oh, that was a weak amen, you guys. Say amen. Amen. And Jesus said in verse 16, I will pray the father and he will give you another helper. You see that word another very important word, another helper. Underline that word in your neighbor's Bible. (laughs) Go ahead, do it right now. Just reach over and scribble. It's an important word. He will give you another helper. Notice that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth in verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him, speaking of the spirit, nor knows him. But you disciples and you, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you see me because I live, you will live also. Well, at that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Jesus is making some pretty radical statements here. He says to his disciples, he says, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He says, when I go, I'm going to ask the father and he's going to give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. But the world doesn't know him. The world doesn't know the comforter, the helper. The Greek word is the parakletos, the one who comes alongside. The world doesn't know him, but Jesus said, you know him, you do, for he is with you and he will be in you. Well, then fast forward to chapter 16. Fast forward to chapter 16. Look at verse 7. Jesus again speaking. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, the paracletos, the spirit will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, just as a little side note. You go in your own time and do your homework. Verse 8 through verse 15, talking about the personality of the spirit. Go do your own homework. Find out how many times it says he, him, or his. Thus, the Holy Spirit is a person and not an it or a force or an energy. So Jesus says, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. If I don't go, the comforter won't come. If I depart, 
I will send him to you. Now, stop right there. Give me your attention. It is very important for us to understand. When I was coming up in school, if you've been around here at Calvary Chapel, you know this story. I came up in the Catholic Church. And I actually got saved, and I went to the Church of God in Christ, the Pentecostal Holiness Church, and I was there for five years. But all through my elementary school years and junior high and into the first part of high school, I went to Catholic school. And I don't know if you've ever been in the Catholic Church, but when you go into Catholic Church, it's pretty majestic. It's intimidating. They've got statues of the apostles and statues of Jesus and Mary and baby Jesus in, in Mary's arms, and they've got, like, Stained glass windows, and it is just unbelievable. And I mean, in the stained glass windows and some of the pictures, all the disciples, they've got halos over their heads. Peter even has a halo. Can you believe it? Man, if Peter can get a halo, I can get a halo. You, you might be able to get a halo, too. But everybody's got these halos, and peter got a halo, and all of them got a halo, and they look so holy. And it's like, wow, man, these guys are... Holy, have you been to Duke Chapel? Have you been? It's beautiful. It's unbelievable. The stained glass windows and the pictures that's painted in, or, or done in the stained glass, it's just unreal. And, and, and with those images coming up and w- with those images in your mind of the disciples and Jesus, you could lose the, the, the feeling, the understanding that Jesus and his disciples were friends. They, Jesus and his disciples, they were homies. They were buddies. They hung out together. They had a good time together. I mean, something, we look at them like, that's them, and we are different than they are. They were holy. We are not. No, no, no. They were just like us. They hung out with Jesus. They had fun with Jesus. They prayed together and did all the things that friends would do together. They were friends, and they acted like friends, and they did everyday stuff that happened. I'm sure they were walking on one of the roads and bees got in Jesus' hair. They're like, Jesus, come here, man. There's bees in your hair. And Jesus is like, ah. Or they're sitting at the table eating. One of them looks across the table and says, Jesus, um, Jesus, right, right there, man. He's got a little something, right? It's a big old piece of broccoli right there, Jesus. And you might want to. Get that out. I mean, I'm sure that these guys were normal guys. I'm sure they probably was, you know, you're at the table, stuff happens. You spill things and stuff gets all over Jesus and all the disciples. Like, you idiot. I mean, how could you do that? That's Jesus. I mean, you spilled something on Jesus. And they probably gave him a hard time all day. I can't believe you. You spilled something on Jesus. Good grief. Watch it, man. I mean, these were just normal guys, and they, they, they had fun together. They had a good time together. They ate together, and they joked with each other, and they were friends. And because they were friends and they had a relationship, they came to depend on the presence and the personal touch of Jesus. That's why First John chapter 1, verse 1, John would say, the same John here would write, and in your own time, look it up, First John 1, 1, John would say that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon our hands have handled and touched the word of life John was talking about Jesus because the Gnostics were saying that there is no real Jesus he's not real he's just a spirit 
The Gnostics were saying when, when Jesus walked on the sand, he didn't, he, just, he didn't even leave footprints. He was a spirit. And John says, ah, wrong answer. John says, no, 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 I'm telling you, I spent time with him. I looked at him. I saw him. I touched him. I handled him the word of life. That's why John would say that, because they had relationship with Jesus. They laughed with him. They cried with him. They, they told each other secrets. They saw incredible things. They saw Jesus walk on the water. They, they saw him as he, as he would raise the dead. Lazarus, come forth. They saw that. They saw Jesus take two fish, five loaves of bread, and feed 15,000 people. And the Bible says five, but add some, add some women and children. Jesus did that, and they saw that. They were there when, when Jesus took the coin from the fish's mouth and paid the taxes, which Jesus is pretty handy to have around, don't you think? Uh, Jesus, I got this uh, tax bill. Um, could you hook me up? They, they saw that. And see, now all of this is going to change because although they were used to dealing with Jesus with their physical sense to see, smell, taste, touch, and hear, now they're going to have to develop another sensory organ, spiritual discernment. Because Jesus is now saying, fellas, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to send you another comforter. You remember that word another? It's the Greek word alos, A-L-L-O-S. And that word means another of the same kind, class, and caliber, especially as it relates to divinity and personality. Jesus says, I'm going to send you another comforter. Jesus says, as I was with you, I am not now sending you the Holy Spirit. And everything I was to you, he said to the disciples, everything I was to you, the Holy Spirit will be to you in the same kind. Jesus says, I was God on earth, and I will send the Holy Spirit to live with you and abide with you and dwell with you. Now, listen, Genesis 1.1 talking about the Trinity and the deity of the Holy Spirit. That means he was God. The deity of the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1.1, you know the verse. It says, in the beginning, God. Isn't that a great way to start a book? You know, in the beginning, God. This word God is imperative that you understand it. The word God or the name God in the Hebrew language, if you're taking notes, write this down. You know I encourage you to take notes. In the Hebrew language, this word, the name God, is Elohim. Elohim, and it speaks of the plurality of God. It's the plural form of God. El is singular. Allah is dual. And Elohim is plural. The I am is like the S in our language. We would say papers, glasses, the S. The I am in Hebrew is like our S. It speaks of the plurality of God. It, it, it's plural. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and this morning I'm going to give you a ton of scripture. So hold on to your hats because we've got a lot to cover here in terms of our scriptures. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, and I want you to take note of this, let us 
make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I want you to notice the Lord said, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, who was God talking to? Remember, there was no one on the earth right at this time. The earth wasn't even created at this point. So no one was on the earth. So then who was God talking to? Well, God is speaking to the Trinity. He's speaking to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the plurality of God. In the, listen, in the very beginning of the Bible, it is God who is letting man know that there is Godhead and that this Godhead is one. Very interesting. Now, the same attributes of deity or attributes of God are the attributes of the Holy Spirit. They are one. And if they are one, then the same attributes of God must be the same attributes of the Holy Spirit. And we should be able to trek through Scripture to see those very same attributes. And if the attributes of the Holy Spirit are not the same attributes of God, then we could never say that God and the Holy Spirit are one. We couldn't say that. It's like, for example, there are some Christian folks that say, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But we don't see any attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.